Welcome, everyone, to another installment of the Guns, Gear, and Beer podcast. I'm your host, Derek Campbell, uh, Generalissimo, and iron-fisted owner at MoGuns.com. Uh, tonight, I'm joined by Chris, also known as Addicted to the Gear on Instagram, and Yosef from Esoteric, which is a very interesting company providing some very cool services to very cool people. How are you guys doing tonight? Uh, we're doing well. Thank you uh, for inviting me to the uh, podcast. Glad you could make it. I'm boring just all by myself. That's why I need to invite interesting people on. Oh, good, good to be here. <laughs> and Chris, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. Oh, and other Chris from Because Operator just jumped in. Can you hear us? Yeah, I got you guys. Sorry, I had to mess with my settings there. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yep, you're good. Awesome. You made it just in time. Just in time. We were just introducing ourselves. Chris would do other, uh, I'll just call you because operator for the moment. <laughs> uh, if you want to short format, it'd be easier to say BCO. BCO, okay, that's cool. All right, would you like to uh, introduce yourself to the lovely people at home? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, my name's uh, Chris Eskins, and I run a, a stupid page called uh, Because Operator, uh, which is started as a satire, and then... Um, it, it's just a personal hobby page where I post uh, pics of gear and stuff like that. And that's uh, some basically of, it. Some of your very cool gear. I have to say, it's pretty impressive. The guy already has his own acronym called BCO. <laughs> what I'm talking about. Acronyms are always very important. So, Yosef, uh, can you, like, I don't know where to start. Tell us a little bit about, about yourself and uh, how you got into the. Uh, instructing industry uh, uh, my name is Yusuf Songpur and uh, I am the uh, founder and lead instructor for Esoteric LLC uh, a little bit about my background uh, was born and raised in the Middle East and uh, moved to the US in the 90s uh, started working in law enforcement uh, mainly in uh, special operations in the law enforcement community. And uh, after the tragic events of 9-11, started working hand-in-hand with some uh, federal agencies uh, to include DOD and uh, a couple of other acronyms. And uh, did that for about 14 years or so. Uh, during which time um, got to travel the world and uh, work with some cool groups. Uh, happy to say that I actually worked in six out of the seven continents. Uh, that's my, wow. claim to, my claim to fame. Uh, and during that period of time, uh, also uh, worked my way into uh, competitive shooting and uh, became a, a USPSA Grandmaster. Uh, uh, Ipsic shooter, uh, and then from there, you know, as I would come back from overseas and and be home, uh, started you know linking up with some other teams and working with them and 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 you know drawing from my experience and 
from the experiences of some of the other cool guys I got to work with. And uh, as time passed, uh, in the um, probably around you know 2010, 2011, decided it would be a really good idea to start training people, mainly firearms, uh, just because of my background with shooting. And then uh, from there, you know, uh, learned a few CQB techniques. Um, been a, a SWAT operator since uh, 1999. And uh, put those techniques together from some Leo uh, law, law enforcement perspective, uh, and got an opportunity, like I said, to work with a lot of special operation teams from the military, uh, domestically, and uh, foreign teams. And kind of blended all those things together to develop uh, somewhat of our own flavor of CQB uh, that for the best past several years we've been going around the you know the country from the east coast to the west coast doing some training and sharing the knowledge and kind of you know at the same time learning from a multitude of people wow how much has um like doctrine changed uh since you first started getting into cqb in 1999 uh it changed quite a bit uh you know, initially the military special operations community came to the law enforcement community to learn CQB, uh, you know, house clearing and, and so on. And then as they started doing more hits, especially in Iraq, uh, where there was a lot of urban, you know, CQB work, uh, they noticed that the technique doesn't necessarily work against an adversary that's willing to use violence, you know. Uh, so the, the military special operations community definitely changed the technique and uh, uh, quite a bit. However, unfortunately, if we're being completely honest, you know, the law enforcement community is uh, refusing to sometimes follow through in the sense to say, hey man, that worked for those guys. How can I take that technique and make it applicable to what we do? Yeah, yeah. But at well, the I mean, same time, let's be honest too, a lot of people you know, also look at people provide an instruction and they tend to say, well, if, you know, people with military experience, they got to be the better instructor than people with LE experience. And I think that's somewhat closed minded. I think everybody brings something to the table. The trick is to be able to kind of take good parts from one and take good parts from the other and, and, and blend them together to work in your, uh, in your area, you know, or in, in whatever your operational tempo may be. You know, one thing law enforcement does is they get entrenched into something and then it becomes almost, they become, you know, personally attached to it. And, well, that's what we've done for the years. So then, you know, the wheels of change are pretty slow. Unfortunately, too, we have to look at our history and look at the, the top of adversary that law enforcement tactical teams are working against these days. They've also changed their tactics quite tremendously and, and I think it's it's uh, foolish to say well we've done it for so long we'll just keep doing the same thing I think the the uh, the suspects or you know the people that were going after in law enforcement capacity they learn and they're adjusting their technique they're adjusting the way they do business that's a legitimate concern that you know I think if, if you're not if you're not improving then you're regressing Excellent point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's an excellent philosophy to bring to the table about it. 
which would you say has more uh would you say that law enforcement just overall is slower to change than the military is or to adapt to the needs and requirements yeah i, I would start out would say that for a variety of reasons number one you know law enforcement is the civilian uh it's a civilian organization yeah it's it, it's not the military so one two it's not centralized either i if the military adopts the doctrine comes from headquarters down hey this is what we're doing they put the program they put the funding and they push it through to all of their divisions or you know or, or their units now mind you we're not necessarily talking about special operation groups because certain teams you know they develop their own doctrine and that's the doctrine they teach however in law enforcement we're not centralized you've got pockets of different teams doing different things uh there isn't a, a conduit to push all that information at the same time uh, out to to uh, LE. So that's one thing. The second thing, the military sometimes can't afford to be slow on the change. So when when guys were doing a thousand hits a month in Iraq, they're coming back and getting shot up. That's a lot of reps and a lot of dudes getting hit. So yeah. you know it's either adapt or you're not going to survive. However, law enforcement doesn't have that same experience you know you don't have one team doing a thousand hits with you know lethal force encounters until you gotta also understand you know the majority of the time the adversary you're dealing with from a law enforcement capacity is not necessarily the same guy you're dealing with overseas or that you know the possibility is kill or be killed you know one 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 theater you're at war another one you're in a domestic situation trying to take somebody in custody Yes, are people more willing to use violence against law enforcement? I feel like they are. So cops need to be better prepared to deal with that situation. But again, there's a social expectation and a social pressure on law enforcement. But in the military, there are some expectations, but it's not the same. Yeah, yeah. Would you say, um, or at least for me from the outside, it seems that I'm seeing law enforcement adopt... Um, like high end stuff like night vision a lot more a lot more often now than just a few years ago. Yeah, I mean you're seeing more of a push for technology and there's a there's a variety of things going on. Uh for starters, funding is a big one. Uh the ability to tap into drug forfeiture money or uh organizations having some uh federal grants and that all really came after nine eleven where there were Homeland Security grants that were not available before to law enforcement. Uh, furthermore, the technology is now more available too. There are many more companies making things that are that are more available to, to law enforcement. So initially when the ramp up for, for the war, you know, in the early 2000s, especially the Iraq thing in 2003, um, you saw all the industry worked towards the military but then when things slowed down and we started dialing back our involvement so with all of those manufacturers had all these items that they produced now available they started figuring out well now we got to reach to that law enforcement market so they started pushing towards the law enforcement market and finally too you're seeing a lot of guys coming out from the military saying hey look look at all this technology and look how you could apply it to what's going on and uh, I think that's a, a big, big change. You know what I mean? You think about it, we've been at war for, you know, 
17 years or, you know, what have you after 9-11. A lot of change in technology and a lot of that technology is also available through uh, military programs where, you know, once the military stops using a product, they put it out in that program and local law enforcement can get it for free. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Before we got started, uh, we were talking a little bit about some of the really cool toys that um, you've gotten to play with. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a couple of pieces of kit coming out. Uh, one of them being Fusion Night Vision, and it's yeah, it's basically a, a dual tube night vision that will do thermal and would do uh, you know uh, uh, image intensifier tube, and it superimposes the thermal over the uh, what you see through your uh, tube, and you you could adjust the uh, brightness of the let's say your thermal, so your thermal, you can see more thermal and less image intensifying, or you could reduce the thermal and increase your image intensifier. I think it's a pretty cool unit. You know, if I had to pick one device that I would run, that would be something I'd like to run, just because you could see through fog, through smoke. Uh, you could even use it during the daytime if you wanted to, because picking up a heat signature versus, uh, you know, light intensification. That makes any sense. I, I just wanted to say, uh, Yusuf, is that uh, the PSQ thirty six you're talking about, or something similar to that? Uh, it's, to that design from L three. Yeah, it's 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 exactly like that. I, I think that's the designation for it. It's almost the same size as the PVS thirty one. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty tiny. Yeah, I've I've heard uh, a lot of feedback from them, and uh, guys guys really like it. Uh, because it, it kind of merges that 31 technology with uh, some of the benefits of the Anvis-style uh, night vision systems with a worm drive. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool tech, though. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool piece of kit. And uh, what I was telling them earlier, it's like I could run my 31s all night long and it doesn't bother me. But when you run, like, your 18s, the quads, your neck's starting to hurt. Yeah. You know, but, but it's, it's a pretty pretty sweet unit. It's awesome, man. That's very cool. Chris, you're being awfully quiet. Oh, sorry. I, you know, I got cut off. I got cut off before, and my headset dropped out. So uh, during my introduction, so I was just listening in. Uh, I don't even know if it, if it went through or not. <laughs> uh, good to meet you, uh, Yusuf, and uh, other other Chris. Other Chris, uh, I think he's yeah, other Chris. The real, real Chris. I can be other Chris. I'm, I'm sorry, you cut out. Can you say that again? Holy internet connection, Batman. <laughs> uh, so, um, and in my unit, all we have So I don't really have much experience with MVGs. You got to uh, you got to play with some uh, some white phosphor PVS 14s recently. Saw in those oh, pictures. I, I did the Sentinels and the white phosphorus ones. Uh, two tubes. That is awesome. the uh, The pictures of you guys playing pool in the dark was just legendary. Yeah, it was not happening though. <laughs> 
I'll tell you this, man. I, you know, me personally, you know, even if I look at it from a law enforcement perspective, I, I truly think that having uh, UVGs with a good quality laser is definitely a, a game changer. If if you kind of have good TTPs and, and, and guys, you know, kind of pay attention and, 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 and use the equipment. And you could do a lot of work with the PVS-14. I, I, I do believe you could do a lot of good work with the with the 14. Uh, don't get me wrong, having duels, the thing you get from having the duels is the depth perception. That was the that was the disadvantage with having a monocle. Yes. You lost that yeah. depth perception. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You feel <laughs> a lot faster when you're using yeah. binos. Now, is it, I only have, I only have the monocle. Is it ever an issue um, disseminating, like, visible light from infrared light with the dual tubes? Because with the monocle, you just close the one eye and you can instantly tell. Well, I know with the 31, sometimes if you're not careful, because they definitely do have auto gating on them too, you could have white light and not recognize that you're, on, you're under visible light. Oh, yeah. But however, man, you, you, I mean, you could fight with the with them all day long. I mean, you could keep them all. You don't have to flip them up. Now, mm-hmm. it's that kind of run them a little bit high. So you can kind of just tilt your head up and look under them. Oh, yeah. Instead yeah. of flipping them, you just kind of tilt your head up, and now you could see under the nod, and you could actually see what the environment looks like. If that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you just need to... You just need to practice with uh, checking checking your light environment, and making sure you're not standing under a street lamp. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, for sure. You know, uh, you know, you, there's nothing you know replaces situational awareness. You know, being able to look at your surroundings and stopping before you, you get on target and kind of figure out, you know, hey, what what are the light conditions? What what are some things I may may have to deal with? And you know, if you're doing a covert clear or whatever then you know you definitely have to pay attention to the light condition if, if that makes any sense oh absolutely yeah definitely just need to be just self-aware and practice with it it's just personally from what i've seen there are um there are a lot of people that get night vision but very few people at least on the civilian side uh recently as they're getting more and more affordable lots of people are jumping in but it, it's very hard to really practice with them and very few people really do it and a lot of people have this perception and especially if you've never really dealt with it before, that it is this God tool once you have it. And it is for the most part. However, it's still, it's an entirely different experience moving and just doing the most benign things are more difficult. And it takes a lot more practice that I see a lot of people don't, don't do, at least on the civilian side. Well, I would say this, I, you know, for a civilian, it's kind of hard to figure out what do you need to practice for because what application are you going to use it for? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm like, if I'm, if I'm out there some pigs or something like that and I'm hunting, it, you know, so maybe maybe use that. But, but again, don't forget, we as humans shy away from what's difficult. So even law enforcement units that have night vision equipment, they actually hardly ever legitimately go in and practice as much as they should just because it's a pain in the neck and and it it does have some limitations and it does take some level of commitment to say, hey, in order for me to be effective at this, this is how much energy I have to put in it. And then, you know, if you're running a part-time team or even a full-time element, you have to also divvy up, you know, how much time do we spend working in the, you know, under nods versus 
how often do we do drug raids during the day? And then you got to say, okay, well, that's how I'm going to divide up my, uh, my workload or my training. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So recently, would you say that you have, um, uh, that you have been training more law enforcement or more military recently with all things that are happening both domestically and abroad? Uh, I mean, the most chunk of my customers and the people I work with tend to be LE, LE, uh, with the military, I do a lot more uh, firearms training than uh, maybe CQB and stuff like that. We did have a couple of special operation units uh, come to our CQB course this uh, at the end of last year and at the beginning of the year. Uh, but I've been spending uh, probably the majority of my time with uh, LE. We, we get some mixed classes, but mainly uh, law enforcement. Because, you know, you got to also understand the military units do a lot of their in-house. They have their own CPTs that don't necessarily apply yeah. to everything yeah. we do as well. In the uh, the video you posted recently, the select few, which for those listening, if you haven't seen it, you should definitely go to the Esoteric um, Facebook page or Instagram. Uh, the Facebook page is where the full video is at, and you should definitely watch the select few. Um, you mentioned the blending of competition shooting and uh, military philosophies. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, what what differences are there between the two curriculums? Well, so, so the biggest one that you see all the time is guys always say, well, in the real world, which is my favorite statement, <laughs> because they, they somehow think that you go into an alternate universe when you're doing firearms or something. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, there isn't a timer. Well, you're exactly right. There isn't a timer. But everything you do does consume time, correct? Yeah. yeah. And if I, if I could take my firearm skill and make it to a, such a high level that it's a subconscious skill, I don't have to think about it, that frees my mind up to apply tactics. What you see a lot of guys crash and burn is when they're presented with a problem that needs a thinker, somebody to apply a tactical solution to it, one of two things happen. Either they crash tactically because they're trying to focus too much on their firearms or they crash from a firearm perspective because they're focused so tactically that their firearm skills are so marginal. You know, so think about a green screen computer. When you run too many programs, it shuts down. Yeah. But what, what I want is I want a computer that could run a lot of things in the background but it's still effectively uh, execute the, the, the thing that's on the screen. So I, if I look at my firearm skills, and I could definitely do things at speed, at high level of accuracy, and I could do them subconsciously. They just naturally occur. And my mind is free to do what? Be a tactical thinker. Okay, how do I skin this cat? How do I navigate this tactical problem? And knowing that my firearm skill will be there to take that shot from whatever position is necessary. So that's that's one thing. And then the other thing is putting things in perspective is how much time does it take me to accomplish certain things? And, you know, a lot of times in military and law enforcement back in the day, we hardly really put a time stamp on something. You know, how long does it take you to do this? And what's an acceptable time to do that? We always we always said, hey, smooth, uh, uh, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. But the reality is, Slow is slow. <laughs> slow yeah. is slow. There's no getting around it. 
yeah, there's no getting around it. And speed is not everything. You have to have the proper mix of speed and accuracy. Yes, that, that's something I see a lot on the civilian side, especially on the Instagram shooting side, is, is uh, everyone wants to be the cool guy with the shot clock to have the sub-second drawn shoot. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 and not to take anything away from these guys that are doing a sub-second uh, draw on a target that's, uh, you know, five feet away from them. Okay, that's great. If somebody's on top of me, may, that's definitely a skill set I need to, to have. But the, the question that I ask is, is your firearm skill good enough to apply over the spectrum of a variety of engagements? Because you could engage a guy that's five yards away and you need to turn around and have to engage a guy that's 20 yards away. And what you don't see on those videos is those kind of things. You know, and not to take anything away from them, you know, some of these dudes are legit shooters, but at the same time, I think where we get sucked into is, well, how fast can you draw and do, you know, start dumping rounds as fast as possible into a, a into a, a, a dummy target or a, or whatever. And that to me doesn't necessarily, sh that shows you're good at one skill set. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see people be able to apply uh, their, their firearm skill through a broad spectrum of engagement. If that makes any sense. No, absolutely, it makes sense. You need to be able to to yeah. balance and multitask. Yeah, for sure. Without without the computer crashing, getting a blue screen. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, uh, accuracy counts for counts for a lot, right? A lot of guys uh, will again speed shoot and be like, just like you said, Yusuf hitting that target at like you know five yards, uh, ten yards, and that's all fun and it looks cool, but engaging targets at multiple different distances uh say three gun comps and stuff like that really kind of promotes accuracy uh for competition shooting which a lot of guys uh, cool guys way cooler guys than than me uh seem to advocate uh is a is a good skill set to have uh and they're turning to competition shooting yeah man if you if you look at any uh, legitimate special operations team out there they're hiring uh, competitive level shooters to come down there, not to teach them tactics, but to teach them how to run their gun. And yeah. then these guys are leaving base and they're going out to competitions to try to kind of sharpen those skills that they learned from the competitive shooter. Yeah. Because they, they understand that 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 puts stuff uh, into perspective. And to add to your statement about accuracy, think about an engagement with somebody. You know, what's going to stop the threat? You know, if, if you shoot a guy in the center mass, and you're going to wait for them to bleed out, they've got all day long. And, you know, you could rip somebody's heart out, and they've probably got 20 seconds worth of residual oxygen in their bloodstream that they could use to fight. Yeah, 20 seconds is a long time in a gunfight. Yeah, so then you're going to go, well, I need a stem uh, shot. Well, how wide is a, uh, a stem? An inch and a half? You're moving, the target is moving, so you've got bones, muscle, and everything else in between your target. So, to me... I try to really practice on a something more like a four by six card. That's kind of roughly what level of what size engagement I want to be able to, to hit. Mm -hmm. Keeping in mind that my skill set is going to suffer when I go out there and I'm in an engagement just from the fear factor and everything else that goes in between. Yeah. If I could ask you a follow-up question, uh, Derek, if you don't mind. Uh, kind go of for it, man. To that with uh, with moving targets. I actually asked this question um, 
a couple weeks back, maybe even over a month ago, to uh, the sheriff ba- sheriff of Baghdad, and a question got rolled over because you know that that he gets a lot of questions and he's got to answer them really fast in between drinks, right? Um, <laughs> but what it was related to was the application of uh, force on force training. And uh-huh. when you're facing as against uh, live opposition versus a paper target, and I wanted to know what, uh, because he trains a lot of guys too, what was, uh, I guess, what was the main, co- like, what was the one coming to Jesus moment for the guys conducting that training? What did they, what was the key benefit that they saw? And, uh, you know, what, did their... Did their uh, did they kind of drastically change their uh, their way of thinking in CQB because they were facing live opposition like that? So uh, for, for sure, there is no replacement for force on force training. So like one thing we do, whether I'm running, uh, when I'm doing training, is I definitely advocate force on force training. And force on force training, depending on what you're trying to get out of it, but if we're specifically talking on firearm skill. When you have good the guys that spent the time on the range and did all the homework necessary to bring the firearm skills up, what you get back from the role players that were the suspects, that, man, those shots came at me fast. Oh, man, they hit me in the right spot. I felt dominated. And when guys get that feedback, they realize, holy moly, man, having that good firearm skill, I just stayed focused on my tactic, and it was easy for me to pick out the target guys are not really strong with their firearm skills and you put them force on force you're gonna you're gonna see when the target doesn't seem to be as dominated so yep. then he's more aggressive and then you're also yep. gonna be you're gonna see a low hit ratio on the suspect but a higher uh hit ratio on the good guy Right. One thing we do a lot of if you you know like when I do training is we get we collect a lot of data. So we'll do uh, we'll do a run five times or twenty times really with tech one technique and collect data on you know how long did it take to complete it what kind of issues did we have ratio of the operators and what was the hit ratio of the of the bad guy then we say well we could do it better and this is how we can do it better and then we'll go back and then we'll do it twenty more times let's say to collect data to say okay well when we did Method A, these were the ratios, and, 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 and when we did method B, these are the ratios, and based on those ratios, we looked at survivability and how effective are we. Change doctrine, and then when you do that, then you can try to roll it out and, and look at operational experience. Does that change fit within our operational tempo? Does it fit? Does it apply to our TTPs? Does it apply to the way we handle business? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. And what is your uh, what is your preferred medium for force on force training? You mean uh, whether it's munitions or UTMs or what's what? Yeah, yeah, munitions or um, what's the other one? UTM. UTM. Uh, um, you know, they they both. Do a really, really good job. I will say UTM for me tends to run cleaner. But again, simunition is, I, I've had, I, I use simunitions a lot and I'm actually very happy with their product. 
I will say that UTM to me runs a little bit cleaner. If I if I may, if I was gonna pick one versus the other, uh, but he, you know, I don't I don't like one much better than the other. Say I'm definitely one versus the other. I'm definitely not a big fan of uh, yeah. of uh, a lot of guys use airsoft. I mean, it, it does the job, but there is something about that pain compliance, you know, that, that yeah. when a guy gets yeah, pain, pain motivates. Hurt, yeah, it's, there is, there is that, that, that pain motivation. Uh, some local law enforcement agencies have been uh, switching to airsoft for a lot of force, unfortunately, just for the cost difference for them. It's it's much cheaper to fire BBs than sim rounds. Well, I mean, uh, listen, I'll tell you this: if if I was gonna run a team or if I was gonna do budget and I couldn't get sim munitions or UTM, then definitely uh, uh, airsoft would do the job. One, you could get weapons that are quite realistic. Two, the the oh, you got me, I got you, and all these theoretic go out the window because. You either did or you didn't. Uh, I mean, and, and if you look at an AR conversion kit, you're talking three hundred dollars. Yeah. Just to get a bolt, and now you haven't even bought the bullet. So not everybody, you know, has that into their funding where they're able to do it. Well, I mean, I, I just think if you have the opportunity to do it, we should, you should, we should do it. Would love to come back, you know. Would love to come out there and, and, and do something. I think a lot of guys when you run simunition. All of these ideas. Well, I would do this. I would do that. Well, this is your open opportunity to do it. This is as close as you're going to get to do the real thing. So you know, let's let's do it. And and uh, munitions and UTMs, man, they're quite accurate. You know, you could definitely within decent ranges, uh, distances, legitimately get a good feedback on what did you do, what could you do different, what did the suspect do, and what what might they do different. And with that, I think we're going to uh, wrap up this installment of the Guns, Gear, and Beer podcast. Before we get out of here, I want to give one more shout-out to our fantastic sponsor, Southpaw Tactical. Uh, go to southpawtactical.com and use the code M-O-E-G-U-N-S, MOGUNS, for 10% off any accessories, scopes, lasers, magazines, anything like that you'd need for your pew-pew. Uh, thank you for coming out. It was a real pleasure getting to pick your brain and talk about some of the cool gas specifics that you have a lot of experience with. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you guys for inviting me. I really enjoyed uh, meeting you guys. This episode of Guns, Gear, and Beer is sponsored by SouthpawTactical.com. Use code MOGUNS for a discount and to support this podcast.